You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we've got swathes of swatches and scads of shades and fab facts. The aliens are on the loose in the randomizer in part two of The Bringers of Wonder. And we're delighted to have Malcolm Garrett. MBE! Cool, that's all coming up in Pod 196. Of the very awarding and rewarding Jerry Anderson Podcast! But not award winning. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Are you lamenting our lack of awards? No, well, it's not just that, Jamie. I'm in I'm in reflective mood today. Oh dear, what's caused well, all that then? Well, uh, do you know what happened 28 years ago on day of recording, this very day? 28 years ago 28 today. years ago. It, well, it must be something Space Precinct. It is something Space Precinct, yes. it is. Yes, I had my first audition for Space Precinct 28 oh, years ago today. that's so amazing. I, yeah, so I'm a little bit wistful today. Okay. Well, that's yeah. rather lovely. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. 28 <sighs> years ago today... Yes. Um, it was 10 days after my eighth birthday. Oh, isn't that sweet? And you were saying to your dad, don't give him the job. Whatever you do, there's got to be better actors out there for Officer Orin. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but isn't that lovely that at that time I had no idea that you existed? And now mm, here, here we are, <laughs> 196 yes. episodes into a podcast. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's strange, isn't it, the way life goes? Isn't that funny? Yeah. I mean, if, you, if we'd mentioned this, you know, mentioned this 28 years ago, we would have said, well, what's a podcast for a star? Absolutely. And hang on, you're only eight. I'm not doing anything with you, you little freak. <laughs> that, I mean, that would have been totally fair. Anyway, look, uh, oh, you are the wistful are. Richard James. I am, that's true. And you are the no longer eight-year-old Jamie Anderson. No, you're right. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry to point quite that some out. way from eight years old, mm. sadly. Mm, uh, and yeah. over there... Oh, yes. Putting a rather what? strange contraption uh, on top of his head. What is that? I've got no idea. I mean, it's so heavy, it's suspended yeah. by a mechanical arm from the ceiling. Yeah. It is, yeah. Uh, anyway, that guy over there with yeah. this mad professor mm. headgear is Weird. Chris Dale, also known yes. as the Randomizer. It is, yes. Uh, and he's called that because every week he does a random thing at the start of the podcast. No, that's not true. It's because uh-huh. he does the Randomizer, <laughs> oh, um, yeah. which is where he presses a, a machine's big red button and, uh, well... All sorts of things happen, but mostly he watches a random episode of a random Jerry Anderson show and randomly says random things about it, and they're quite randomly entertaining. Yes. That comes at the end of this podcast, but on the way there, we'll mm. go through the uh, peaks and troughs of the Jerry Anderson podcast, oh. uh, which Richard will describe now. <laughs> well, I suppose the peaks are our wonderful podstrons who've been getting in touch at uh, podcast.jerryanderson.com and posting on our Facebook group and uh, hashtagging us on Twitter and commenting on YouTube. And I suppose the troughs would be kind of you and I just gassing on in between <laughs> uh, for the likes of uh, Fab Facts, which will be up very, very shortly. Ooh, yes. uh, and then the Jerry Anderson News, of course, which we're always very excited about because there's even now still 
Pod 196, yet every single week there is something happening in the world of Jerry Anderson. And there's some exciting stuff to report today, so hang on for that. Uh, then we've got uh, Jamie. Is this you again, or is this Ben interviewing our guest today? It's, uh, Malcolm it's me. Garrett. It's me having is a it? lovely chat to Malcolm Garrett, who is a ah. designer. You, If you were a child or a teen of the 80s and you enjoyed yes. 80s music, you'll probably know a lot of his cover ah. art, and he tells us extensively about how he got into all that uh, but then oh. we go into the influences of Anderson on his work and why it's oh. so cool about his amazing collection the Malcolm Garrett collection well I'm giving away too much you'll have to listen in well, yes, to find out more you are. Uh, is it as impressive as the Richard James collection is that the uh, multi-com and yeah. uh, the badge on the back of yeah. your toilet that's it yeah that's it I think it might be slightly more but only slightly more <laughs> impressive than that collection yeah fair enough okay there we are uh, good I think I think I covered everything there tonight did I cover all bases probably did I miss if you didn't up? if you didn't we'll cover them anyway yeah sure we'll and go, we go through yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah right well uh, the base hmm? zero yes I suppose yes. let's start low base camp and, and uh, yes exactly and, and climb from there yeah. Yeah. well it's fat facts isn't it oh right that's going downhill isn't it now Time for this week's Fab Facts. Fab Facts, as everybody mm. knows, Richard yep. James's absolute favourite. Yeah. Uh, where I flick through a book of Fab Facts, he shouts Fab to stop me flicking, and then we will happen upon a rather marvellous fact. Okay. Mm. That's the name of the game, really. Yeah, great. Although it's not really a game. So. No, and it hasn't got a name. No. Well, not that name. Anyway. Uh, no. Yes, right, anyway. <laughs> yeah, going Richard, well. are you ready with the Fab oh, yes, Facts? I, I, very ready. Good. Here, here comes the flicking, so prepare your fab. Let's go. Fab! Ooh. Hmm? Did you hear the last little bit there? There was a bit yeah, of a... I did. Sticky thumb? Uh, no, sticky pages, actually. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, now, see, we've ended up... Let's yeah. see, it's page 112. Ah, okay, right. Well, we've... It, we could have ended up either side of a 12-page uh, section here. Oh, could we? But we've ended up... In the mid 1960s, around 1967. So, Richard, you may recall not too long ago we covered a fab fact regarding the Captain Scarlet character that never was, Lieutenant Sienna. Oh, I do remember, yes. Mm. Uh, as well as colours of the other Spectrum agents in various spin off media. Mm -hmm. We've also very recently covered reader interactions with the solo comic. And uh, if you remember, that was the one where they sort of seeded the Mistron's idea uh, oh, in a rather right. yeah, sinister yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this fab fact touches on both of those areas. Right. But more specifically, it touches on reader interactions with the TV21 comic during the heyday of Captain Scarlet. Oh, yeah. Now, that heyday, which was, as you might expect, considering the popularity of the series and the comic, rather high. Yeah, I bet. TV21 generously allowed Spectrum some editorial space in the magazine where Colonel White invited readers to become junior members of the organisation known as the Spectrum Shades. We've covered this before, I think, in a, a previous uh, fab fact. Now, those shades would send in reports of various Mistron activities taking place, uh, like Mistrons break the swings in our playground, that kind of thing. Oh, the devils. And there were definitely things like, you know, my teacher's a Mistron and that uh, kind yes. of thing. Yeah, you remember. Yeah. Uh, in order to deal with the I massive... I do listen, you know. Yes, I do remember. Do you? Yes. That's <laughs> the first I've heard of it. Uh, <laughs> in order to deal with the massive demand for Spectrum Shade membership cards, the UK was divided up into specific Spectrum areas. Each one of those was under the command of a different Spectrum captain who was allegedly responsible for getting those cards to them. Mm. Richard James, drum roll mm. please. All right, yes. As I deliver to you, which Oaks. captain got which region? Oh, go on then, yeah. <laughs> captain Ochre, North right. Scotland. Oh, yeah. Captain Blue, 
South Scotland. <laughs> Captain Orange, Northern Ireland. Ooh. Captain Saffron, Northern England. Captain Magenta, Ireland. Well, that makes yeah. sense because he yeah. was Irish. Yeah. Captain Purple, Mid and Northern England. Captain Grey, North Wales. That sounds like a bit of a slight on North Wales to me. Ah, yeah, all the way there at least, yes. Yeah, exactly. Captain Pink <laughs> in the Midlands. Uh-huh. Captain Khaki for yeah. Anglia. Yes, that's me. <laughs> Captain Navy for South Wales. Uh-huh. Captain Umber for South West England. And Captain Cream for South East England. Captain which Cream. Cre- cream of the crop, <laughs> South East England. That's a, that's a bit, you know. Yeah. yeah anyway, really. this hmm. was all laid out in a map on the back of TV21 issue 147, which I'm sure all of you will be flicking to in your collections now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, you may have noticed that uh, there were more regions than the television series gave us captains for, hence several new captains being invented to take on these regions. Uh, and that for some reason, Captain Scarlet wasn't invited to participate. Uh, yes! Yes, yeah, odd, isn't it? He was probably busy. He had a lot on his plate, to well, be fair. fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the real-world explanation for dividing up the country like this was because it allowed for a more efficient way of dealing with readers' requests. And legend has it that it soon became apparent that Area Purple, mm-hmm. that's uh, the mid and north of England, yeah. was sending in more membership card requests than any other region. Oh. And as a result, it was taking rather a while to get them their cards. Now... TV21 could have just said something to the effect of, sorry it's taking so long, there's a lot of you in Area Purple, we'll get your cards as soon as possible. Yeah. Would have made sense. But, never wanted to take the conventional option, they did not do that. Instead, they published a Captain Scarlet strip story in which the Mysterons attempted to destroy an undersea base that was being visited by Colonel White and the (laughs) never-before-seen Captain Purple. Ah! The story ended in issue 181 with Captain Purple tragically losing his life. No! Trying and failing to save the base, thereby providing readers with a credible reason as to why their membership cards were taking so long to arrive. Oh. The guy who was dealing with the administration of them was dead. Well, that's a bit grim, <laughs> isn't it? cheery, mm, isn't it? Yeah. Now, it's an interesting way to go about dealing with the problem, although it has been suggested that the story was probably originally written with Scarlet in Purple's role, as you might expect, mm. being the main character, and the switch wasn't a particularly difficult one to make, just some colouring in there, well, and some changing of lettering. How- yeah. However, it seemed to have the effect they were hoping for, and the, the comic published an obituary for the fallen hero in issue 182, which kind of reinforced the idea of Area Purple being in disarray for a while. <laughs> uh, amazing. That's uh, very good. Evidently, after some delay, the Spectrum Shades of Area Purple all got their cards in the end, thanks yeah. in part to former Fireball XL2 captain... Austin Bacchus, who was revealed in issues 187 and 188 of TV21 to be Spectrum's new Captain Purple. Although, if you look at the picture of him that they published, it's pretty obviously a photo of Captain Blue or Captain Ochre that someone's doodled a goatee beard over. I mean, that's what I'd do. There you go. Oh, there you go. I haven't got time for anything else. Is that that Richard James? Oh, no, that's uh, Alan uh, James, his his brother. That's James Richard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, His evil brother. Nice. There you go. I mean, what a way to say, yeah, sorry, it's a bit delayed because it's so popular. No, the guy who deals with it is sadly dead. 
Yeah, um, that's odd, isn't it? Yes. Uh, it's it's it. That's a very much like uh, the dog ate my homework, or you know, my uh, my great aunt died, or something on the weekend. It's, it's a bit excusey, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yes, it's not something you would use for the Jerry Anderson store, is it? I'm probably not. Uh, excuse no. me, Jamie. I'm waiting for my um, special edition of the. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. sad um, report. Unfortunately, <laughs> Captain Viridian was killed in action, and he's the one that's responsible for it. Yeah, so you'll have right. to wait. Oh dear. Gosh. That's very good. I like it. Yeah. I mean, they never went that that far in in comics subsequently. You would never have got that sort of thing in the Thunderbirds comics of the 90s or the stick the short-lived St- um, Space Precinct comic, would yeah. you? No. Nothing of the sort. No, no, true enough. But I do like the idea of dividing the country up into sections controlled by the various captains. I can see that would be quite exciting. Yes. As a young child to be sort of under the care of a of a captain from Captain Scarlet. So I would be Captain Kharki in Anglia. But, well, yeah, but now, region, so. now you'd be Captain Cream, wouldn't you? I would be Captain Cream now. And how about you? You'd well, be I would have been w- Cream and I'm now Navy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, isn't it right. funny? Yeah, it so is, yeah. Do email us in, Postrons, and let us know your birth colour and your current habitation colour. Yes. And if you're outside the UK, then Tough. why not... Well, oh. no, name yourself no. a captain. Yeah. We'd like love to it. know your thoughts, and perhaps we can add to the roster in the coming weeks. Yes. So, uh, Paul Hyder from China. Yeah. Um... Paul Hyde from the Isle of Wight? Absolutely. Well, maybe Colonel White is in charge of uh, the sure. Isle of Wight. Sure. Maybe. Who knows? I think so. Yeah. But uh, email us in podcast at jerryanderson.com and we'd love to know what your birth and current region are. And if you haven't got one, then name them. Yeah. Anyway, there you go, Richard James. What a lengthy mm. but relatively mm. interesting fact. Relatively. But it brings us to the end of this one. That's the end of this week's... Captain Purple Fact! Oh. oh. Yeah, Captain Purple Fact. Purple Captain yeah. Fact. Well, that yeah, that works. Fine. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Oh, now, hang on. Now, that fab fact was so long, uh, my screen's gone to sleep. So, uh, <laughs> here we are. As well yeah. as you, yes. <laughs> and our posturons. No, 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 no. no. Uh, so, uh, we're just moments away from the very exciting Jerry Anderson news, of course. But in the meantime, our lovely podstrons have been getting in touch to podcast at jerryanderson.com. For example, Johan Huth. Ah, now, the trailer for Jerry Anderson and Life Uncharted dropped uh, in the previous week. I'm sure many of you have seen it, and I know a lot of you have lots of thoughts about it. For example, Yuhan says, uh, Hi, Jamie and Richard. Uh, I just saw the trailer for Jerry Anderson and Life Uncharted drop live on YouTube. It was 11pm for me, and I must say I eagerly look forward to the release of the full feature. However, regarding the documentary, and in particular what Australian broadcaster could possibly air it, while in previous podcasts Jamie has mentioned the Nine Network has long been associated with Thunderbirds, I dare say the network's current commercial focus doesn't seem to accommodate for such a feature. I wonder if SBS in Australia has been approached for free-to-air broadcasting, as they seem so much more suited to a show of this content. Uh, In any case, says Yuhan, looking forward to seeing this documentary when it eventually becomes available on free-to-air or streaming. Absolutely. Well, it's not up to us who gets it, actually. It's uh, the distributor, uh-huh. Abacus, but I believe they are in yep. talks right now. And I think, yes, absolutely, SBS would be great, or ABC out in Australia. So, fingers crossed, let's see. Uh, and we'll yeah. give you the audio version of the trailer in the news section just coming up. Ah. Uh-huh. Nice, great. Uh, Phil Steer gets in touch to say, Hi all. Uh, I read this recently, yep, and it ama- immediately made me think of the Podstrons Facebook group. I know I'm no longer a member. I don't think Phil's on Facebook anymore, but he says, I know this to be true. And here's a quote from him. Enjoyment gives us something for our friendships to be about, other than our own fathomless need for connection. We find it easier to be our most generous and delightful selves when we're thinking about how much we love Doctor Who or bird watching than when we're trying very hard to be a likeable person. 
and our connections with others will be much more profound if they're based on an honest disclosure of what we love in life rather than a controlled image we present of ourselves to gain approval. Uh, that's a quote from Joy Marie Clarkson. I think that's from her book, Aggressively Happy. That, in a nutshell, is what it is, isn't it? When you feel comfortable enough to say, without any judgment, yeah, I love Jerry Anderson, I love Torchy, I love Space Precinct. <laughs> Richard. And there are a few, yeah. Is, have you just outed yourself as a Torchy fan? Because, you know, there's I, there's I am what I am, and then there's Torchy. They are, you know... There are but limits in all these things. <laughs> but that's a very good point, isn't it? Yes, Once absolutely. we feel comfortable to express ourselves honestly, that's true friendship, isn't it? Rather than being sort of guarded. Absolutely. So, uh, that was rather nice. Yes. Uh, Robert Monk says, Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, gentlemen. Good night. Uh, I have an idea about a possible Podders group photo at the standby for action concert in Birmingham in April. After it's all over, all of us gather at the front of the stage for a quick snap. Just a thought from Robert Monk. Oh, well, that's a nice idea. I, yeah. I, like, logistically, that might be tricky. Yeah, yeah. But uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, either outside or, or inside, yeah. depending on the time of day. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure there'll be lots of photographs taken throughout the, the whole weekend. Now, remember we were talking about um, <laughs> Marina... Uh, from uh, from um, Stingray and her lack of uh, yes. her lack of vocal ability. I have a feeling this fab fact may have proved to be contentious. <laughs> well, Simon Allen got in touch to say to show my versatility. Here's my impression of Raquel Welsh impersonating Marina. Oh, uh, that's from Simon. So let's have a listen to this. Wow, that I that's mean, very I've, good. I've n- never heard. Something so yeah. accurately portrayed, I don't think. I no, mean, this, I, he, this guy deserves a job. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I'm not saying as what, but... Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, he really got Raquel Welsh to a T there. It's extraordinary yeah, yeah. in her impersonation of, of Marina. Yeah, amazing. Uh, very good. Yeah, so there we are. So do get in touch with us at uh, podcast.jerryanderson.com. We love to hear your thoughts, comments. There's all sorts happening uh, in the world of Jerry Anderson at the moment, as I'm sure you're aware. So we'd love to hear your thoughts and comments on them. Send them in and uh, I'll read them out. Absolutely. Yeah. Can't wait. Email us podcast at jerryanderson.com. Yeah. And uh, while you think about what to email us, would you like oh. some Jerry Anderson news to stimulate your ander gland? <laughs> um, I think so. Good. And here it comes. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang yes. on. Uh, Podstrons, do send us in a diagram of where you think your andergland might be. Well, it's obviously between yeah. your ears, isn't it? <laughs> it's the bit. It's I would the, hope so. It's the part of the brain that is particularly pleased by Anderson-related stuff. Okay. Well, obviously. so not everyone has one then, or does? Or is it just a matter of finding it? I think it's a matter of finding it and developing it. <laughs> that's, that's the key here. Move on, anyway, quick. Let's move, move on. on. Anyway, this is this is the Jerry Anderson newsy. Oh, newsy, 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 newsy. newsy. I, actually, I'd forgotten about that. You were so distracted. Oh, anyway, I really look, was. Yeah. Lots of exciting things this, this week. Yes, but yes. let's start with the live podcast. Now, uh-huh. tickets are now on sale at the Electric Birmingham. So if you want to, to book them, it's 2 p.m. on the 16th of April. Yeah. So it's before the concert, the afternoon before, at the Electric Birmingham. Go to electricbirmingham.com. Uh, if you click on what's on and then you go by date, I'm doing it right now in real yep. time. Click yep. on Saturday the 16th. Okay, you'll ticket, yeah. see it there. Now, tickets are a tenner apiece. We did try to negotiate them down, but just because of the venue and the staff required and stuff, 
sure. You know, it is a tenner, but we hope it will make it worth your while. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be a couple of hours, you. won't it? Yeah, oh, a couple yeah. of hours, and oh, it'll be fun. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. 90 minutes of fun. There'll so be some pre-show stuff and yes. some post-show bands. It'll be like going to the theatre, won't it? It's exactly. A tenner's good, yeah. Exactly, yeah. and we can all get together and have photos, yeah. and, and yeah, yeah, it should be a really, really Definitely. fun piece. So there we go. Uh, electricburningham.com, and uh, book your ticket there. We hope to see you. Uh, have you downloaded the Ander app yet, Richard James? I haven't, no. Oh, should dear. I? Yes, of course yeah. you should. Should I? Oh. Yeah, because it's everything all in one place. Even the podcast yes. is there for you to listen oh, to. Uh, great. Podcast, videos, articles, oh. events. <clears throat> I mean, you could even book your uh, podcast uh, live ticket Amazing. from the app. Right. That's exciting, isn't it? They're really exciting. It's a go-to place for everything Anderson, then. Exactly. So uh, whether you're... <laughs> you, can, you can have that. You can have that for the blurb, if you want. I think that might already be on the blurb, actually. Oh. But yes, that's oh. a good, that's, you're right. Uh, if you want to download it, go to your app store, either the uh, the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, if you're on Android, and you can download it for your mobile device there. It's free. Oh, great. Um, you also may have seen this week, or last week, the news about the upcoming Spectrum comic, which we've... Uh, yes. We're partnering on with Time Bomb Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've seen all the strips. I know what's in there, and they're rather lovely. Ooh. The reaction to them was rather good, I thought. Lots of excitement there. Um, yeah. And uh, we've been doing a lot more comic-related activity. The upcoming uh, UFO Comic Anthology Volume 2 is coming for pre-order very soon. So, uh, yes, we, you know, it's clearly an area of which there's a lot of interest. But you've, you yeah. saw some comments on the Spectrum comic, did you? Yeah, absolutely, yes, in the Facebook group and on Twitter. I mean, I think it was the unexpected nature of the news that was uh, welcome. Yes. Uh, as well as lots of love for the actual idea of the comic itself, yeah. Yeah, no, it's very exciting. So more on that soon. The guys are launching a Kickstarter for that as a sort of pre-order mechanism uh, next month. Great. Uh, probably, on, probably on or around Jerry Anderson Day, I suspect. Nice. Uh, now, the concert is just a few weeks away. If you're going to come along, then obviously we'd love to see you at the live podcast recording too. Yep. Concert starts in the evening. All the VIP tickets are sold out, so it's only the standard tickets available now. We'd love to see mm. you there. It's going to be absolutely amazing. It really is. Um, yeah. The orchestra are working on something rather special. I'm not going to tell you any more than that. Um, oh. I've also they've also been sending is it my intro me, music. Yes, of course, for you to wander yeah, on and like, uh, when I walk in and yeah, then swiftly lovely. wander off again. Uh, yeah. uh, and they've been sending me little rehearsal clips of them working on oh. various things. So I shall be posting some of those on social media in the coming weeks. Oh, great! I can't wait. Mm. Uh, we've had some recent new T-shirts out with uh, some Thunderbirds badge emblem type things emblazoned on the chests. Thunderbirds one mm-hmm. to five. You search for Thunderbird badge designs on the store, uh, you'll find them there. And the actual uh, pin badge versions of those will be available exclusively via the app. Oh, wow. Okay. That's rather cool, isn't There's it? There's so my incentive, yeah. If you want the badge, you, the badge itself, you can only get those via the app and they'll be available nice. from next week. Uh, now, we've all, all talked about it lots. Uh, the Jerry Anson documentary, A Life Uncharted, we released the trailer uh, this week, just gone. And um, I think perhaps... It wasn't quite what people were expecting. Uh, uh-huh. Here's the audio <laughs> version for you, and you can judge for yourself, and we'll chat about it in a second. Five. My dad was responsible for aliens attacking the world. Four. He blew the moon out of the Earth's orbit. Three. And he turned a bunch of puppets into superstars. Two. He was a wonderful chap. One of the most honest chaps I've ever met in my life. One. He's a very evil... A very evil man. My father, Jerry Anderson, produced 18 series and four feature films, owned six Rolls-Royce motorcars, 
had four children across three marriages, and Maiden lost his fortune twice over. But beyond these headlines, I actually know very little about the man that I call Dad. Very few people know anything about my background. Okay, Venus? Okay, Steve. Right. Let's go. He really should have lived, and I should have been the one that was killed. You wouldn't forget something that a parent had said to you like that. Jerry wasn't above demonising people in his shows. He had a thin skin, I think, Jerry. It was a thing called the gentle art of making enemies. Once people were kind of out of his life, they were out. His life, I think, took a very serious downturn. There's pictures of us all together as a family, and it, it really is very constructed. My partner, Arthur Provis, received a call from Sylvia Tam. And the two of them combined was a, it was a double whammy. You couldn't stop. It became stormy in the extreme. There seemed to be nothing keeping us together, really. No glue. It has to be stressed that, that she has her story. This is mine. Nothing gets better. Nothing heals. He didn't deserve to have such a terrible end. Yes. Well, now, it's mm -hmm. it's quite tender and heartfelt and emotional. I think perhaps yeah. there was a perception that this was going to be a propaganda piece listing Dad's achievements from over his right. career. And we do list a lot of his achievements. But, oh, a lot of them, yeah, yeah, sure. But I think this is a very personal story about a man who describes himself in it as a very human being. Yeah. And I feel like you'll get to the end of this film and you will feel like you know Jerry Anderson for the first time. Uh, and I can say that because I, I also feel like going through the process, I feel like I know him for the first time, uh, even though this, you know, is, is 10 years after his death. Yeah. So it's quite something, uh, you know, obviously there are a couple of lines in that trailer designed to hook your interest, <laughs> uh, particularly yes, Roberta Lee calling him an evil, evil man. <laughs> Her archive interview is absolutely fascinating, I have to say. Uh, I mean, that's, I, that's put into some sort of context, is it? Yes, in the, of course. In the documentary? Of course. All yes, the stuff yeah. is given context, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, throughout. Mm. And it's, it's just amazing, amazing interviews, amazing honesty, candor that you probably have never heard from the worlds of Anderson before. And it'll, it'll give you a new perspective on him and a new perspective on the shows. Like I've said, you'll be able to watch them through a new lens after experiencing this film. So, yeah. uh, yes, Great. can't wait for you to enjoy it. And with lots of, lots of questions from people about will it be available on DVD and Blu-ray? Yes, it will. Um, but it won't be for some time after the initial release. Yeah. Um, if you're in the US and you want to see it, can I kindly ask you to email or tweet Shout Factory and say, we want to see this? Yeah. Um, and basically, wherever you are, if you have a, a, you know, a local kind of streaming service or a, a broadcaster where you think this fits, do drop them a line because it does help, actually. If, if, uh, if viewers are saying, I want to see this, Absolutely. Um, it might hasten things along. So our distributor is in talks with various people already, so hopefully you'll be able to see it. We'll make sure there's ways for you to view it internationally. Uh, and also yeah. across the UK, we've got various cinema dates coming up. The Electric Birmingham on the 15th is sold out. I believe they'll be showing it again on the 17th, the day after the concert, oh, but without wow. Q&A. There yeah. are various other ones coming up. And obviously the BFI premiere uh, on the 9th of April, which tickets are still available for, uh, which is the first ever time anyone's going to be able to see it on the big screen, which is going to be rather lovely. 
If you want to get that, then go to andr.sn slash bfi. That's ander.sn slash bfi. Uh, and you can pick uh, up tickets there. Can we get tickets via the app? <laughs> you can. Just if you, asking? If you yeah. go onto the events tab in the app, you'll see uh, a link amazing. right there to book your tickets. Oh, that's clever, isn't it? That's really good. It is nice to have everything yeah. in one place because everything yeah. right now is, is you know, yes, it's all available, but you've got the store in one place. You've got the sort of articles yeah. in another place, the podcast right. in podcast tickets apps. Tickets here, tickets there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. YouTube channel, but this is all yeah. on one app, you know, all Great. in the palm of your hand. So. Nice. Pop along and download that. Anyway, look, that's so much stuff. There's a huge amount more going on. Goodness me. Mm. Great stuff going on in the background. But uh, that, for now, whew, is the end of this week's Jerry Anderson News. That was the news. So much stuff going on news. There Gosh. is so much stuff going on, isn't there? What a week. That was... Uh, yeah. Yes, yes. So, uh, now, talking about the, uh, the Spectrum comic, of course, uh, coming up uh, in the next few months... Interesting. So how did that come about, Jamie? Did you approach uh, them or did they approach you, Time Bomb Comics, or how did that work? Uh, oh, can't um, remember. I think maybe they'd seen us tweeting about stuff and somebody said, oh, I'd love to do a comic about this. And I yeah. said, oh, well, here's okay. our licensing agent. Speak to them. And uh, yeah. and then it sort of uh, bubbled up through COVID and then disappeared again. And then there was a reminder tweet somewhere. So it's one of those things that, wasn't going to happen uh-huh. and then almost happened and then Great. didn't happen and now it's happening and so. then it suddenly happened yeah that's brilliant and we have script, uh, rather uh, uh, strips from New Captain Scarlet Terror Hawks and Space Precinct we do indeed yes marvellous and they're uh, all so, great uh, yes on on that very subject, over on our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podsterons, uh, CJ List says well this looks interesting finally he says showing some more love for Space Precinct yeah, that's good. Uh, James Johnson says, Excited noises of a fan who really likes it when cancelled too soon shows are continued in other media. Yeah, mm. that's a good feeling, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, Andrea Boot says, uh, Best lunch at work ever. I'm so happy with this news. Ian Stevens says, That's great news. I'm so up for this. Miles Parrish says, Could we please request that TARDISes be added to the Jerry Anderson store so that we can jump into the future where this is already released? <laughs> good idea, <laughs> bit, wouldn't it? Bit off-brand, though. Yeah, but of course there are the usual <laughs> concerns from our international podstrons about whether this will be uh, available overseas. Uh, Thomas Skidmore says, will this be available in the US? And Earl Black says, hopefully available from the uh, Jerry Anderson shop so poor people in Australia, or not poor people, uh, people in poor Australia can enjoy them too. <laughs> yes, yes. So. Well, uh, I mean, I, I assume it'll be available all over the place. I suspect that Time on work with Diamond Comics in the US um, and it's always available to ship from wherever. Uh, and we are yeah. also now, of course, we're opening our warehouse in um, Columbus in Ohio. Okay. Uh, we've got some stuff shipping from there already. So if uh, if Time Bomb aren't working directly with Diamond, then we will at least get stock of it in the US in the warehouse so it can ship directly across North America. Yeah, great. How's that? Uh, uh, yeah, very good. Uh, moderator Louise asked, who's a Joe 90 fan? Uh, yeah, she did. Uh, Peter Lippman responded, I've always really enjoyed it. And having been filmed at the height of Flower Power and the hippies of 1967-68, I always thought it was a really clever move, looking at the hairstyles and clothes, not to have given any of that a nod, hence a better rerun life without looking dated. That, I mean, that's always a challenge, isn't it, when you're making a show? How is this going to look in 10, 20 years' time mm. in terms of fashions? Especially when something's set in the future, of course. That's a, an odd sort of way to go around it. Isn't Retrofuturism. Uh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gordon Cooper says, I'm a fan of the music and visuals. I appreciate the rest of the show for the unintended humour. It's absurd, he says. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Uh, yeah. I, I saw uh, so, somebody tweeted about uh, 
it does the documentary explore the 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 psychology behind things like Joe 90 putting a child in mortal danger every week not really no because uh, yeah I don't think there's too much behind that other than wouldn't it be fun to be a kid spy yeah. Uh, that's right and then it's up to yeah. you whether Quick you think it's successful idea. or yeah. not yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ian Clark says I'm working my way through the box set of Joe 90 very slowly I don't know what it is but I just feel something went missing when it came to this it looks as brilliant as ever and there's some fab performances but it just seems like there's the usual Anderson magic lacking it's hard going hmm. but I will get there Robert Cassidy says, I loved it as a kid, uh, then sort of couldn't get away with it for a, uh, for a while, and then as a man nearly in my 40s, decided that I like it again. I quite like that. Yeah. We do come and go with things, don't we? I find that now in my advancing years. I'm going back to stuff I used to watch, you know, 20, 30 years ago and enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Now, uh, while we're on Facebook, of course, one of our Facebook group members you might have heard of is, um, is Tom Hodden. Oh, no. And as well as his um, very funny posts on Facebook, he does tend to send me the odd... Um, Quick five five! <sighs> yes, here we go, Jamie. Are you ready for these? These are quite fun. Uh, congratulations! Today you begin your exciting new career seeking world domination for fun and profit. Question one Would you rather be a master of disguise or have a glorious sense of style? <laughs> uh, master of infinite <laughs> disguise. I already am. <laughs> No, true. Uh, how will you make a name for yourself? Will you steal supercar at any cost, or are, are you off to sabotage Zero X for reasons the plot never bothers to explain? <laughs> oh, well, I think if you want to be dangerous, you do things without yeah. explaining the reason. So Zero X, <laughs> goodbye. good. Yes, never complain or explain. That's what they say, isn't it? Uh, question three. Uh-oh, Joe 90 has been sent to investigate your lair. Which classic trap do you spring on him? Have the spiked walls slowly close in around him or drop him in a shark tank? Oh. oh, I mean, I see the, the, the eyes lighting up at that one. Yeah, that's really tough. Mm. I'm going to go for spiked walls. I want to see Joe 90 oh. in that Captain Scarlet image. That is harsh. Question four. Do you prefer to give your nemesis a sporting chance with a super long countdown or a cryptic clue to all your plans? <laughs> cryptic clue. <laughs> yeah, that's so you. And finally, question five. Which is more likely to distract you when you should be busy conquering? Monologuing about your plan in great detail to your chatty nemesis or bad puns and fits of evil laughter? Now, puns, I think puns, I know puns the answer and giggles, to this one. Yeah. Puns and giggles every time. <laughs> of yes. course it is. There we go. And that's another fantastic quick five five from Ton Hot. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tom. That was not too bad. Uh, lovely, and I got it? to murder Joe 90, so... I know. Win-win. Hey, win-win. Win. Oh, uh, W-I-N, W-I-N. Yeah, yeah, see? Nice, yeah. nice. This is all working Thanks. beautifully. Isn't it? At last. 196 pods in and something's working. <laughs> Finally. Uh, yeah. Would, are you done with your uh, uh, contributions yes. for the moment? Yes. Yes, for the moment. But I would just like to say, of course, if you're on Facebook, then do head on over to the Facebook group and join in the fun. Lots of, uh, comp oh, not, I was about to say competitions. The old, very rare competition, but mostly conversation, comments, reviews, playful posts, jokes, pictures of merch, art, cosplay, all that sort of stuff. All the stuff that you love. All the stuff to stimulate your undergland whenever you like. <laughs> uh, now, Richard James. Yes. Can you guess the connection between the Buzzcocks, Duran Duran, Peter Gabriel and Jerry Anderson? Uh, no, I can't. <laughs> did he? Uh, did he have all those artists on shuffle on his iPod as he drove into Pinewood? Uh, <laughs> I don't recall hearing any of those in his no? car. He oh, was more of a, okay. a Harry Nielsen sort of a man. Was um, he? Yes. Well, the connection is I just read them all in a list. No, that's not the connection oh, I at all. See. That's the it. The answer is, it? is that all those musical artists and many more had their record sleeves designed by graphic designer Malcolm Garrett 
who also oh. happens to be a fan, a super fan, in fact, of Jerry Anderson. Uh, of so Malcolm and I had a lovely chat um, about all sorts of stuff, lots of stuff about his career, really fascinating stuff and his sort of design philosophy, how it interconnects with the worlds of Anderson, stuff he saw early on. And it's really interesting how different types of people who've gone into different careers have a different uh, look and a different lens over all things Anderson. Uh, mm -hmm. Malcolm certainly has uh, a unique view, I think. So here we go. Part one of three from Malcolm Garrett. Ah, great. Hi, I'm Malcolm Garrett. Uh, I'm delighted to be here with Jamie Anderson, son of a huge hero of mine. Uh, it's not about I'm me, Malcolm. This is about you. <laughs> I know, but I can't. I, <laughs> I can't help but say how delighted I am to be here. Oh, well, um, we're delighted to have you. Okay, you want to know who I am? I'm yeah. Malcolm Garrett. I'm a graphic designer. I've uh, run a professional practice since I graduated from Manchester Polytechnic in 1978. So I'm fairly long in the tooth. I started out by designing record sleeves and and other uh materials in the music industry um and that led to a very successful career throughout the 80s and into the 90s at uh, the beginning of the 90s i began to to develop my already active interest in using computers in the studio and got interested in in the internet and where that would take us uh, and that ultimately obviously led to mobile computing and i became very interested in in a weird kind of way, I got very interested in, in wayfinding and organizing information both in the real world and and in and in cyberspace and in the world of cyberspace, and which sort of brings us to where I am today uh, in my professional practice. Uh, in parallel to that. I've been quite active in education over the years and, and I've built up relationships with, with a lot of universities and colleges, not just in this country, but um, various colleges, especially in Europe, but around the world too. Uh, but obviously my main connection is with Manchester School of Art, uh, which is where I studied. And 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, the Manchester School of Art was celebrating its 175th anniversary as the oldest undergraduate art school or school of design as it was filmed originally in the uk and as part of that i worked with the dean and pro vice chancellor uh, professor david crow who's a, a good friend of mine um i'd known him for quite some time and so we worked well together and he invited me to to um host an event to celebrate uh, that that anniversary and we when we staged a conference in manchester town hall and long story short that became an annual festival of design in manchester we needed to come up with a name for it so being mancunian we thought what it's about design where is it manchester what should we call it design manchester so I'm, a, I'm one of the <laughs> i'm one of the artistic directors we have a number of partners who I should name check, uh, uh, John Owens, Fiona McGarver and Casper de Graff are my partners in Design Manchester. Casper de Graff has been my, my creative and business partner since the, since the very early 80s oh. and continues to this day. And uh, the Design Manchester Festival goes from strength to strength until we hit the, uh, hit the wall that was the pandemic, uh, which causes us to rethink. But today is not about the Design Manchester. <laughs> Leave that to one side. We'll try so, not to. Talk I think about that's the a kind of much. summary of of most of the activities that I get. I've 
got myself involved in over the last 45 years or whatever it is. That is a lot of stuff, Malcolm. A lot of stuff. <clears throat> and we'll definitely t- touch on Tell some me. bits of it. I-, I am going to ask you, though, to just briefly name check some other other things, specifically some bands, perhaps, that you've done some design work for. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a complete list, but just some yeah, no, highlights, it's perhaps. fine. It's fine. It's uh, it, it's interesting because there was there was a time, uh, I guess, at the end of the eighties, uh, where I'd sort of had enough of the music industry, because throughout throughout the eighties, from the late seventies, um, I'd worked with an awful lot of bands. Well, some of whom I'll mention uh, in a second, but. I felt it was it was potentially a little bit retrogressive because working in the music industry is a, is a very youthful enterprise, and I thought I should be doing more with as I you know became a little more you know uh, my hair was turning grey and and uh, looking a little bit more aged I should I should turn into to more more um, forward looking things and this is actually where you know the the my my long held uh, I don't even know what the right word is to describe my enthusiasm for Jerry Anderson productions. It's, 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 it's sort of, it's not really fandom, uh, but it's, it's more inspirational. So let's say, so, so the inspiration of the, the exploitation or, or not the exploitation, but the, the enthusiasm and the fervor shown to, to the idea of looking forward and using technology and, and, and for the, for the good of, of the, of society, uh, was something that that is it's become deeply ingrained in me and so at the end of the 80s i started to think about okay well perhaps i should rebrand myself perhaps i should become not that guy who used to design record sleeves but that person that designer who works with computers because computers in design uh, at the end of the 80s were 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 new and to a certain degree not particularly capable uh, in terms of what you'd like them to do uh, i mean that my 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 belief in the future of computing has has has, has panned out well because <laughs> now we can't do anything <laughs> without computers. Anyway, go back to your question. So so the first band I worked with was was when I was at college, and I was at college in throughout 1976 and 1977, which were the were the explosion years for punk rock, and and being in Manchester, I got to know a band called Buzzcocks, who were kind of instrumental. In bringing punk to Manchester and celebrating that, they 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 hosted the first concerts by the Sex Pistols in Manchester, and by a kind of series of connections, um, it's always about that you know finding the right people to work with. You know, a cynic would say it's networking, but it's more about kind of following following your interests and be, and 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 getting to know the people you are interested in and and doing things that hopefully they'll be they'll be you know uh they'll reciprocate and be interested in in you as well uh so i started to work with the buzzcocks from that there was very quickly there was an offshoot band called magazine so i worked with magazine for a, for a long period of time and in my potted history i forgot to say that i did a one year uh uh one year of a four-year course in typography at Reading University. And at that point, I, I met somebody whose brother became the, the uh, lead songwriter in a band called The Members. So I started to des- do design work for another punk band, The Members. So on graduating, I'd, I'd kind of built up a fair, fairly 
strong portfolio of work. And I immediately, uh, almost immediately, I mean, literally the same month I, I graduated in 78, I was offered more freelance work in London. And, and I, I began to, to, to work for all sorts of other, other bands on a label called Radar Records. I worked for some of their lesser bands you might not have heard of. But out of that, I then went on to work uh, with probably my best known clients, which are Duran Duran. Culture Club, Boy George, Jim Kerr, The Human League, Heaven 17, and a lot more. <laughs> That's a great uh, list. Uh, uh, and then, then we began to work with Peter Gabriel uh, and mm-hmm. Real World Records. And we, 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 we did. So we went from, from working with individual artists, if you like, to work with, with labels. Uh, and, and especially in world music, where we work with Earthworks, um, uh, another world music label and then classical labels because as you get older you're not as you're not as in touch with the kids but you're more <laughs> in touch with with the industry if you like and so yeah. so that kind of kind of grew uh, but then in my struggle to get out of the music industry and to put the, that into my into my past uh, and to get involved in working with computers the internet happened and 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 we started to to develop um interactive products, uh, websites, and enhanced CDs for all sorts of, of bands. Because suddenly I was the person, not only was, was I the person who knew a bit about working in the music industry, uh, I was also the person who knew a bit about this new field of computers. So, so I, I, it was, you know, I was drawn back in. And so we, we did lots of stuff uh, for, for new bands, as well as old bands, you know, with repackaging Iron Maiden and Madness and the Spice Girls on <laughs> on on in in the digital space, yeah. things that went on screen. But we also did websites and podcasts for for bands like Orbital. We did the first online store uh, for a band for Oasis. We did the Pulp website, and and um, we 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 pioneered. I mean, what we're doing now, podcasting. We pioneered live podcasting um, over the internet, and so we broadcast Oasis from Loch Lomond. Um, I've I've lost count of the of the number of bands we worked with. <laughs> Amazing, but, but that's not just me. It, the the company around us grew, so there was a great number of people kind of servicing this growing digital industry if you like which took us well well into the uh, uh to, towards the end of the end of the 90s yeah um where um at which point i sort of got a bit bored with it all or it, the business was was getting difficult you you're trying to balance you know working for tesco versus working for oasis and uh, and and that whole kind of thing and <laughs> it confused feel. me a lot so i ended up retiring from the company that i'd formed and moving to canada i moved to toronto to work with a company called immersion studios who were making uh, interactive cinema mm. uh, huge triple screen surround uh, surround vision panoramic screens with all the members of the audience having uh, uh, touch screens to interact directly with what was going on on the screen so that was a whole new learning experience very cool but again i've you know it always it, you know 
it always comes back to Jerry Anderson. It always comes back to that 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 <laughs> that uh, if you like the belief in the future and and an excitement in in futurist things. So the idea of of interacting with cinema from your from, <clears throat> from your your cinema seat excited me on a on a, a kind of cerebral level as well as a kind of technical and creative uh, of level. So and yeah, and I, I blame supercar. <laughs> <laughs> it's not often somebody says yeah. the sentence i blame supercar well uh, you know <laughs> I'm, t- I'm trying to remember the lyrics now but but under the sea <laughs> into the sky you know yeah. it, it's it's the wonder of the age i mean wonder i've always dreamed of having a supercar yeah well you never know that that flying car has, has got uh the green light hasn't it from the one of the civil aviation authorities oh, the car the, with the wings that spring out and it can fly a couple hundred miles yeah yeah so it's Fantastic! It's on the way. Fantastic. It's coming, it's coming no, true, my, Malcolm. My, my my dreams as a six-year-old are coming true. <laughs> exactly. Fabulous. Just a few years later. Um, yeah. So okay. Well. So is is six years old your your kind of entry age into the world of Anderson? Do you well, think? Well, in my head, it's it's, it's always been there. Mm. And and Supercar was definitely the first because I I know there are earlier series, but Supercar was definitely the first one that I remember. I can picture seeing it on television, and although I see it in color because I've got the annuals, obviously it was black and white. And I've done my research, and and I believe Supercar was nineteen sixty one, sixty two. Uh, 60, 60, 62, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so I would have been I would have been turning six in nineteen sixty two. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So very early memories, and so I mean, wh- why why would a show like Supercar have such an impact on a six year old Malcolm? Do you think? Well, let's say why wouldn't it? <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've, just described, we've just described an amazing looking machine. Yeah, um, uh, but uh, I mean, I, again, I've, I've given a lot of thought to why those shows why not just why i like those shows but why everybody likes those shows mm-hmm. uh, and and i know that i i know that your dad was big on film he wanted to to make films and and he was sort of big made films and, and, he, and he made tv shows almost under duress which is amazing to think back that that was the case because that's not what came out from you know yeah. this side of the tv screen but i think that being on the television being children's programs mm. As is what's given them the absolute longevity, mm. uh, because, well, and two other things: they're genius, they're 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 you know how visionary they are, and how with each series, you know, going from Supercar to Fireball XL Five to Stingray to Thunderbirds, each series took a slightly different take and had a slightly different vision on mm. things that could happen in the future, and so. The fact that there was a Jerry Anderson TV show on the television every week from the age my age of six until I don't know thir- twelve or thirteen, yeah, a week on week on week on week, <laughs> and always fresh, always different, always mm. taking you somewhere else. Why wouldn't it have an, have an influence on me? No, Why wouldn't fair. it have an influence on somebody who was interested in in if you like in technology? And in thing, you know, the, the things that are quite literally fantastic, you yeah. know, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the word fantastic is always misused, isn't it? It's, it, it, it literally means stuff of fantasy, yeah. uh, but it also means really good. And that's exactly <laughs> what the stuff was. It's the stuff of fantasy mm. and amazingly good. 
both meanings a bit. That's nice. I don't think I don't think anyone's ever brought the word fantastic <laughs> to, uh, with two meanings to Anderson shows like that. I mean, just for for positioning uh, at the time, what what else might you've been watching when you were sort of six seven for for comparison? Because it always feels to me that the shows really stood out because really there was nothing quite like them. Well, early on, you know, as a you know six to ten year old, I guess it would be the other children's programs, mm. and and the main one for me would have been Blue Peter. Yeah, uh, but you sort of watch that out of you know habit. <laughs> 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 you know, um, it, it wasn't as inspirational. I mean, the other brilliant thing that that obviously Century Twenty One Productions did yeah. was launch a comic. You know, it's, it's, you know, we bought, you know, as kids, we had comics, mm. you know, in our house, because I had two elder brothers and a younger sister. In our house, we had the Eagle, we had the Beano, we had the Dandy, uh, we had Jackie magazine, and Jerry Anderson launched TV21. Yeah. And TV21 was more than a comic. It, it, was, it was a newspaper from the future for yeah. kids. Yeah. And I, I bought it from issue one. Um, <laughs> and, and I kept them all and they were under my bed when I went to university. And when I came back from university, they were no longer under my bed, which is, which is one of the, oh, do you know, I, no. I, I, I still, those and my bubblegum cards, I collected bubblegum cards, yeah. in, and, but always science fiction, always, you know, Mars attacks, the outer limits, the twilight zone. Yeah. I was always into, into science fiction. And so, so I still, I challenged my mother about it and, and she denied doing anything with him. But, and, and so, so, so they either got thrown out or my elder brother decided to sell them, <laughs> which is still just entirely possible. One way or another, they were Neither swiped. of them around anymore for me to challenge them. Um, oh. uh, but, but, and then of course the toys. Yeah. You know, I still have my spectrum patrol car, my, my fab one, the lady Penelope car, I no longer have my plastic supercar. I no longer have oh. my amazing Fireball XL5, which you would catapult up into the air and then it would split up in a parachute down. Yeah. <laughs> I no longer have that. Um, uh, and so so the first thing I did, one of the first things I did when, when as, a, as a recent graduate from Manchester Polytechnic, mm. uh, getting some work in the music industry and a forever youthful um uh, <laughs> uh, child at heart. Uh, the first thing I started to do when I when I I left college was go to, um, I guess they'd call them uh, vintage stores now or or antique stores. I, yeah. I just go the, in Covent Garden. There was a stall because my first studio was was uh, just on the edges of of Covent Garden and heading towards Clerkenwell, just on the outside uh, on Kingsway. And uh, and I on every Mondays I'd go to this stall and buy buy up those things that I didn't have when I was a kid, but I really wanted. So I did end up with, with a, a fairly vast collection of every single annual from supercar right up until Terrorhawks. Wow. <laughs> uh, and I actually think there are very few. I'm still on the lookout. I, I, <laughs> I bought two this week on, on Etsy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bought what have you got I, there? And then I, I bought a Captain Scarlet um, um, nice novel. Spectrum file novel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, which I didn't have. I hadn't seen that one before. Uh, uh, but 
how did I get here? <laughs> well, that, that you, it sounds like you started on the nostalgia thing quite early comparatively, because a lot of people, they don't re- revisit shows like that until they're in their late 30s, early 40s. I started on the nostalgia when I went to grammar school at the age of 11. <laughs> that is a very that, early start. That, that's when I bought my last Corgi toy and mm. I bought the Spectrum Patrol car. And, nice. and at the age of 11, I thought, Oh, it's maybe it's a bit old for you to be playing with toy cars, Malcolm. So it, it stayed in its box. It's mm. the only one I have in its pristine box from <laughs> from 1967. But yes, I did. You know, and as soon as I had a little uh, bit of disposable cash, I was buying buying up things that that continued to inspire me. You know. <laughs> forget buying houses and cars and getting married and having children <laughs> and, and wasting your money that way. My children are all printed ephemera. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of lovely uh, that they, yeah. they just hooked you so much. Ooh, see, he's mm. quite the illustrious career old Malcolm's had. I shouldn't say Absolutely. old Malcolm, he's not that old. I think he called himself <laughs> old rude. there, but he's not that old. Oh, okay. uh, anyway, if you want to find more about Malcolm, then you can go to malcolmgarrett.com uh, or on Twitter, at Malcolm Garrett, uh, or his company, at Images Co. Uh, and on Instagram, being Gosh. Malcolm Garrett. Ah, it's all over the place. Uh, yes, he is. Yeah, uh, but he'll great. be back for two more parts next week and the following week, which will take us to pod 198 oh right okay dangerously dangerously close to (laughs) really uh, are yeah to to pod 200 uh, yeah that's right the big double century yeah yeah what is that four years that must be there mustn't it it doesn't seem like four years no it's like 40 crikey yeah. <laughs> yeah it does yeah you're right uh, now uh, you're listening to the Jerry Addison podcast uh, a very brief reminder as ever that you can subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to us on if you're not listening to us via the Ander app I mean could you subscribe via the Ander app I suppose you kind of are automatically subscribed, don't you? Because uh, new episodes will appear. Yeah, you, you just go onto the, yeah. onto the listen tab yeah. and cl- press on the podcast yeah. and then the most recent episode will appear. So Perfect, yeah. Yes. Leave a review wherever you're listening to us. That's always nice. We often read them out uh, if they're particularly good, of course. And copy the link and send it to all your friends and put it on your social medias and uh, let them know that we're on every week talking about the stuff that you love. Yes. And uh, they might love it too. For example, over on Twitter, Starch Wreck Models and Props tweeted, Attention all sections alpha, Stun Gun and Comlock 1 is complete. Ah, they've been building models. These new kits are awesome. I will definitely build two or three more sets at least. Definitely some fun builds. Uh, and they attached a couple of pictures. Lost in Transition tweeted, Ah, a couple of weeks ago, you asked a question about where people would like to see International Rescue doing their thing. That's right. We uh, thought it might be fun to think about real-life locations where uh, the Tracy brothers might get involved with their rescues. Yes. And Lost in Transition says, well, my choice has already been covered on the back of the Edinburgh City Arts Centre booklet from 1986. And he posted a picture <laughs> of a programme from an exhibition in Edinburgh in 1986 uh, featuring all the Thunderbird craft in action around some of the city's most famous landmarks. Amazing pictures. Um, so do look for that. Uh, the Dalek Emperor says, here's my latest appreciative tweet for the Jerry and Sylvia Anderson television production, uh, The Protectors from 1972. Here's an image of the recently passed Ron Pember, who died just this week, I think, uh, with Robert Vaughan in the episode Blockbuster. Ah. Oh. So there. Yeah. So do uh, hashtag us Jerry Anderson podcast on Twitter. You can tag me, Richard N. James, him over there, I'm Jamie Anderson, and him over there. Oh, wow. That doesn't look good at all, but that's uh, at Chris Dalek. What, what's going worry. on there? Mm. He's, yeah. con- he's concentrating mm. very hard. Ah, is he? Look, what? Up to the what? left, the screen there, it's lit up. Ah, uh, it's that's not. Ah, he's mi- he's mind writing. 
He's t- trying to Lord. I mean, it's a very Anderson way of trying to communicate when he could have just told us something. Yeah. But the words are <laughs> yes. appearing now. Hang oh, on. Yeah. It's, it's not not random. Not random. Oh. Uh, yeah. Of Is course. It? Oh. It's not because last week, because last week yeah. it was Bring Us a Wonder Part One, yeah, and I'd yeah, forgotten. Yeah. So yeah, right. It's okay. not. Right. It's not random. It's Isn't just. It, it's uh, funny that you went to all that trouble though, just to write that with his mind, it's, the whole thing on his head. And it's the, very it, Chris Dale, though, isn't the it? Ceiling. It is. It's him all over. Yeah, true. hang on. He's drawing yeah. an image with his mind now, and it. Chris. Well, that's very rude. Oh, okay. Right. No call for that. No. Right. Is that an underground? <laughs> I think it could be. <laughs> <sighs> Over to the randomizer. Last time on the randomizer. Moonbase Alpha status report. 2,515 days since leaving Earth orbit. Dr. Helena Russell recording. Commander Koenig has not responded to treatment since becoming irrational and crashing his eagle. It is possible that the use of the cerebral wave machine has worsened his condition. He reacted psychotically to the arrival of a rescue mission from Earth, and he remains convinced that its appearance is somehow sinister and that evil forces are at work. He refuses to believe that they are friends and relatives from Earth. Commander Koenig insists that they are monsters determined to kill him because he is the only one who stands in their way. Why won't you listen to me? You're all blind! The commander remains in the medical center where my old friend and teacher from Earth, Dr. Shaw, has promised to check on his condition from time to time. I feel helpless and frustrated because I can't free John Koenig of the delusion that there is a plot to kill him. And now the conclusion. So, welcome back to part two of The Bringers of Wonder. And uh, unlike how we ended part one with no music, here we, we do have music. Uh, I'm reminded as I see this, actually, this is one of only two Anderson episodes that I've ever seen uh, sat and watched publicly at a convention. This was at Andercon, was it the first or second Andercon? I think it was the first one, where I also saw the uh, first episode of Stingray in the viewing room. This was uh, ahead of the Blu-ray release of the second series, and uh, I do recall somebody asking the guy on the door... Uh, if he was looking forward to it because they played part one on the Saturday and part two on the Sunday and the guy said oh I couldn't sleep for worrying about how he was going to get out of it the uh, the cliffhanger which to be fair is a fairly gradual way um, not really down to Koenig's own agency as it happens it, it almost looks like the alien sort of kisses him to death anyway uh, something you may have picked up on in Helena's recap there of part one firstly I think it's a really fun recap that um, we're hearing it from her point of view, but seeing everything that Koenig saw. Secondly... What's your opinion? That recap... All signs are very erratic. Yeah, th- this is... Um, causing his mental... Inf- fairly un- underwhelming resolution to the cliffhanger. Helena and Maya just arrive. At the end of part one, it was uh, he- Maya and Tony who were on the way. And some have asked, well, where's Tony now? But I guess, having been beaten up by, by Sandstrom, he needed to go have a lie down. So... John. The reason I let the... She has something to show. Status report recap from part one play. Specifically, I, I let Helena mention how many days since they, uh, the moon had left Earth orbit mention go in. Was because that is my perhaps favourite blooper in the entire series. That's an eagle. Because according to Helena's logs... Oh, we can see parts of the, uh, the ceiling of the set there. Yeah, according to Helena's log... I can see her. Part two of this story... 
close about a minute. Takes place about a year and a half after part one. They're in an eagle. And not only that, but every subsequent episode of the series fits into that that 18 month gap. I think it's about 18 months. It, it could be near six months. So the only way you can make that work chronologically is to say, okay, you get to the cliffhanger and then Koenig gets up, wanders off, has half a dozen more adventures Would have resisted that. and then remembers, oh yeah, there was an alien trying to kill me. I better go back and deal with that. He goes rushing back to the medical centre. Meanwhile, the alien has just been standing there for like a year and a half, doing nothing, you know, twiddling its thumbs. It's, um... I see monsters. It's a simple little goof. I'm surprised, actually, that it got through, considering, you know, presumably you'd have the same writer and script editor working on each part, and surely they would check that. That would be like the... You know, should I should I check the number that I wrote for part one? Oh, nah, it'll be all right. It, trying to come up with a, an in-universe explanation... Did your consciousness... Or protected it. ...is rather funny. Anyway, because it is now part two... Helena and Maya are now a bit more receptive to Koenig's ideas. And he's a bit calmer. And now we're getting a sort of secondary recap of the events of part one. It's odd that everyone from Earth is somebody's friend. Which really I should have... I should have waited and waffled all over this. Everyone's out of someone's memory. Yes. They could have... Because it is... You do almost feel, particularly when you watch it as as part of the compilation, you do feel the gears shift almost. Sort of, oh, we're now in part two. Things can now happen narratively that we we weren't going to let happen in part one. Maya sees these people too, and they can't be in her memory. It is possible that they could project images from other people's minds into my mind. Hmm. If they have control over our minds. Why are they letting us have this conversation? And I do like how 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 spookily and atmospherically this to exert that control. This recap it's, it's almost like a, a sort of PowerPoint presentation on these aliens. Say that he knew Sandstrom was trying to kill you, but he couldn't do anything about it. And then when Alan took Louisa away from him, he regained control of himself. And that's an odd comment there. Ben did say that he knew Sandstrom was trying to kill you. Actually, no, he didn't say that on screen. Controlled his mind. Uh, you can infer that it's a conversation they had uh, off screen, but it's a fairly important plot point for them not to mention. They made him release the oxygen, causing the explosion which killed him. So I'm blameless for making him jump out of his skin and fall over. Now listen to this. Okay. We've been in space for months. In Earth time, that's generations. Oh no, this is getting onto the, uh, that whole, um, into infinity. They have to be hundreds of years older than they appear. That thing. I can't even remember what it's called now. I'm so <laughs> I'm so uh, unwilling to uh, to accept it, but yes. Oh, my mind is because I was hooked to that machine. Yes, here we go. There may be no causal effect, but it is a tenable theory. I wonder why we weren't willing to entertain it in part one. Please, unstrap me. Do we tell Tony? God, no. No. Our best weapon is surprise. If we tell Tony, they may probe his mind and take away the one advantage we've got. Tony's very, very small mind. Oh, there's the top of the set again. Would you let Helena give you the same treatment I had? I'm willing. Oh, look, then it should be me, not Maya. But you can handle the machine, we can't. Helena, if I'm right, there are things Maya can do that you can't. Ooh, that's not a good thing to say to, uh, to your love interest. Basically, this other woman who's a bit younger and a bit prettier than you, is also more useful than you. <laughs> you little beauty. Anyway, meanwhile... You're gonna do, Joe. 
Alan, Ernick, and Bartlett are approaching Earth in uh, what they believe is the Swift pilot ship. Her name's Jeannie. <laughs> How about you, Jack? And this is nice. Her name's Caroline. <laughs> She's five years old. Oh. She's got her mother's eyes. Yeah, that's why I uh, I like the character. It's a wedding present from little old Earth. Just to be there. Because it's rare that you actually get anyone mention... I swear it's snowing over California! Hey, smile when you say that, man! I don't get that. Yeah, it's rare that you actually mention any, uh, you actually get anyone mention specific family back on Earth that they've lost, and as part two goes on, we see that's basically what Bartlett's entire role in the story really is. As a fairly... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just just kind of sad, sad reminder of what the Alphans have lost. They've all left someone behind back on Earth, and uh, here's this guy with a five-year-old daughter. Normal. Ah, so Maya's been through the brain machine. Nothing wrong with her. Well, here we go on the carousel. Hey down there, Earth Control. I don't know if it's um, meant to look a bit odd, but yeah, the Earth looks a bit unusual here. It does look... I suppose it, it might be meant to look as though there's been some kind of disaster due to the the breakaway. And enjoy the ride. I hear you, oh Earth man. Ah, oh, Carter's really happy. Yeah, no mention also of uh, the Earth that they were contacted by in Journey to Where, all those people living in Texas City and various other domed cities on Earth. This is very much established as... Well, really, the present-day Earth that they left, we'll see in a moment, uh, contemporary 1970s footage of New York. Well, ticking over like a flawless machine, as always. Ah. Good. Maya's got an adorable smile. So, now... Why have we converted Maya on the brain machine? Well, let's take a look at who's waiting down the corridor. Helena can go first. Who does she see? Dr. Shaw, son's fiancé, Peter. Hmm. Maya. That seems to be his full name, son's fiancé, Peter. But Maya sees... A pair of aliens taken from a completely different point in the episode. And I love Catherine Schell's uh, disgusted response to them. Ooh, they look like the plasma that forms on some organic matter when it begins to decompose. Bit of a mouthful of a line, though, but it uh, sums up the characters fairly well. Oh, boy, don't they look beautiful. Nice. Uh, is this a uh, music from the Tabor? Nice, uh, angelic music. Historic lines ready. How about it's a small step for main dump? Well, who said it had to be original? What are you going to say, Alan? Where is the nearest John? <laughs> Well, that will make the history books. See, this is all good character stuff. It makes me kind of wish this was actually all happening for real. Also, a rare mention of about to touch the bathroom. Is that the only time uh, anyone in, in this show mentions a bathroom? Could be the only time anyone in... Uh, well, one of very few times, I'd have to guess, that uh, one is mentioned in any Anderson show at all. But the pilot ship has now landed, not in New York, but at the Nuclear Waste Domes. Presumably, again, I'm going to have to assume that these are domes or some waste disposal system they built after the breakaway, because otherwise it doesn't really make much sense for this to have never been mentioned at that point. Let's get this luggage into the hotel. I sure hope we get a room with a view. 
forget the view. What I want to do is to get to a telephone. More fun discontinuity between what the characters think they are doing and what they're actually doing. Alan and, and Co are... In the old days, they used to call this town the Big Apple. Let me tell you more things you probably already know. Yeah, they eat... They think this is New York, it's actually the nuclear monitoring station. I also like, really like the look of this um, this set, interior and exterior. And it's made particularly creepy by the fact that the alien is just standing there watching them. Yes, one of them is to stay here to prime the domes. I'll send the other two for the nuclear trigger. And that's um, David Jackson playing the voice of the aliens there, who was uh, Gan in Blake 7. Oh, I think... He was also the voice of the alien judges and one of the monsters in uh, The Rules of Luton. So... repulsive. If there was any other way. Oh. <laughs> and a nice... aww face from Maya. As she turns herself into... Blobmonster! Maya, remember, they know you're a metamorph, so be careful. Uh, I cannot verify whether they said metamorph or manamorph at this point on the original BBC transmission. Also, yeah, the question of what is Helena actually seeing at this point? Does she see Maya as Maya, or does she see Maya as a blob monster? Because if it's the latter, she doesn't seem particularly bothered. We haven't much time. We are beginning to lose energy rapidly. Two aliens have been dispatched for the nuclear trigger. Once they energize it, we will take our fill. All the alien creatures will die. They are of no consequence. They are so ugly. Naturally, they are of no consequence. So this is a a group of scheming aliens plotting near a travel tube. And here comes Maya Alien with um, what looks like a load of electrical cables coming out of her back. Which of our number is that? It has our shape, but it is not of our species. And yet it looks damn sexy. Stop that one! Yes, yeah, so the aliens see each other as aliens and also communicate with, um, well, with the, with the same voice. And here we go on one of my favourite um, So Bad It's Funny moments from the series. And I, I think I've, I've done, um, yeah, I've put the Benny Hill chase music over this. It's the, the slowest chase ever seen on television as Maya makes her way past the... Uh, well, yep, she's just made it round the edge of the corridor. The other aliens are slowly creeping up on the that edge, nearly there. And it's just so ridiculous watching these things uh, slowly lumbering around corners. And <laughs> yeah, they definitely look better static. They look quite nice with the illuminated lights in this slightly darker corridor. And of course the sound effects are great as well but yeah it's it is rather funny as as a chase scene where you're meant to believe that one of the main characters is in trouble it's rather funny and there's a cable again i think connecting the two aliens oh don't ever that must have been powering their internal batteries to uh geniuses and the instincts of vultures to make the lights work that's a nice description well there are species that live on radiation it's the only kind of energy they can assimilate. It's what keeps them alive. But what do they want here? Well, their planet ran out of radiation. They're starving. Unless they get a huge intake soon, they're gonna die. Unless their son has died, that's, uh, that's not likely. That could be beneficial to us. Let's give them our nuclear waste. So yeah, that kind of, kind of implies these are replacement dumps. 
I should really stop worrying about that now because yeah, it's it's established there. Alpha is still producing its own nuclear waste. That we don't know what we're doing when we blow them up. Why haven't they just blown up the dumps themselves? They have How does just turning into one of the aliens physical activity give Maya full details of all their plans? To exploding them for them. How? By making us think that we're doing one thing when actually we're doing something else. I know they were chatting about it for a bit, but wait a minute. Alan. She's got a bit more detail than uh, than those aliens in the corridor were chatting about. That's where they really are. Still on the surface. And they were flying in an eagle. I still see the pilot ship. They're at the atomic waste dumps. But she does see the waste dumps, interestingly. She doesn't say, oh, that's New York. There's your atomic fuel. That's the trigger to blow up the dumps. Yes, and there are conveniently cameras all over the nuclear waste dumps, ready to zoom in on uh, any... Any facts the viewer needs to uh, to be made aware of. Computer, close and lock entrance to atomic fuel store. So that's Alan and Ehrlich, I believe, locked in. I've got to get to an eagle. And Helena and Maya just wait behind. And here's the, believe it or not, the very last appearance of uh, Jeffrey Kassoon as Dr. Ben Vincent, just going off with Louisa. No dialogue. And I always wonder if he, if the reason he's never seen again is because he's with her in a fairly... Uh, intimate moment when it's revealed later on that she's not human and he he goes a bit mad that's my that's my headcanon explanation for why we never see him again after this anyway koenig has mistakenly gone off on his own for an eagle but who's gonna stop him where do you think you're going chief of security and tony i must have an eagle doctor oh god what's this guy's name i've already forgotten oh who cares dr shaw that's it this is a Fairly goofy shot of Landau as well. Yes, Dr. Shaw is making uh, Tony believe that Koenig was coming at him with a very silly face, going to do all sorts of nasty things to him. But that's, uh, yeah, Koenig out again. Ehrlich and Carter are already trying to cut their way out. And back to medical centre for Koenig. That plan didn't go well. How did he get out of medical centre? He just broke loose. And why the hell didn't you give the alarm? Now, he could have hurt himself and us. And I've got a good mind to have a word with the security chief and ask him why he didn't put any guards here. Oh, no, that's me again, isn't it? Oh, dear. All right, you stay with the commander. Make sure he's properly taken care of. Yes. You coming, Dr. Shaw? Right, so Dr. Shaw leaves with Tony, except he doesn't, because this is that shot where there's, there's an, a surviving outtake. As Maya takes out the gun, she's about to shoot the security guard that got left. You clearly still see Dr. Shaw in the room, and then he's just gone. Commander. Yeah, that's the, that's the famous shot where um, the actor playing Dr. Shaw trips over the security guard as he leaves. So I'd love to know what the actual intention of that scene was, because clearly Dr. Shaw moves to Koenig's side and stays there, and then he's just suddenly gone. But who knows? Um... Because I don't have the, the script to refer to. I do know there was a scene written, I believe, for part two with um, a cameo from Bill Fraser, who suddenly turns up. Again, it's it's more or less to remind the audience of what happened in part one, and uh, he gets hit upon by um, Diana Morris. Instead of drugs, it's called white noise, and it works by blocking nerve paths in the synapses in the brain. But most of the time, I just use drugs. The input of the aliens. Yeah, that, in hindsight, I suppose losing that Bill Fraser scene was is kind of a, a point against this episode because it presumably would have given you know, a good Diana Morris moment and a good Guido Fideschi moment. The second half of this story 
all of those fun characters from the first half, with the exception of, of um, Bartlett and Ehrlich, they're just kind of gone. Make sure these things are set to stun. And let's hope the aliens don't read your mind, Helena. Small though it is, Helena. I use our people to stop us. Mm. Yeah, it's a shame not to uh, to have any more of that banter to look forward to. The, the rest of the time now, they're just going to be standing around looking a bit, uh, a bit sinister. Alan and Ehrlich have released themselves from the fuel store. We don't really get any idea of what they think is happening at this point, though. Hold it. Again, Helena and Maya are going... Oh, They're going on ahead of Koenig. We're set to kill. Good job I hang back for no reason and make sure you're not being followed. I believe that guard was uh, an extra in... Well, that actor, I should say, was a security guard in, I think, The Exiles? Possibly one or two other episodes. And now we see what uh, Carter and Ehrlich think they're doing. They're having, you know, just made it back to Earth. They're now off on a camping trip with two ladies. In what looks like a dune buggy. Oh, that's it. Two more guards down. Don't recognise any of them. I do recognise the next guard. One of the next guards they're about to shoot. It's Quentin Pierre. Don't hurry. What the hell is going on here? Shut up. My security force are second to none. How could they let this happen? Oh, dear. Yeah, some very good sinister eye acting from uh, Stuart Damon here. As Helena applies the white noise, Dr. Shaw is getting up close to her and trying to stop her. How's Coney going to get out of this one? <sighs> Just kick him. And as one of those things where you know, we see Landau kicking a stuntman, we don't see what Koenig's seeing. I would love to have seen one of those alien costumes actually you know, go flying, fall on its back with its little legs wiggling in the air. That's as much amplification as I can give it! What about Alan and the others on the surface? Will the sound reach them? They'll be getting it to their helmet receivers, but it won't be powerful enough if the aliens choose to block it. Oh, that's a nice noise. It's a lovely noise. Anyway, we've got some fine screaming coming up from Xenia Merton and Jenny Cresswell. Also, an absolute non-reaction from Tony here. <sighs> then followed by absolute hysteria. And a great line from Koenig. Oh, um. Tony! They get their power from energy! They get their power from energy. They get their power from energy. They disappeared. They get their power from energy. I love it. I love it. It's such a terrible, redundant line. The atomic fuel store. So, the aliens have been driven out of Alpha. Everyone uh, Stop them. now knows roughly what's happened. All our people are back to normal. Oh, Sandra's been crying. That's something as well. You don't really see the sort of um, the end of the dream. All those hopes for the future being smashed. Actually, no. Here's, here's one character you, you we come closest to seeing that with. But it is a shame that, particularly with Tony and Sandra, we don't really see any outcome for, you know, it wasn't really Guido and it wasn't really, uh, oh, Sans fiance Peter. That's the thing, yes. And here's Bartlett opening some radiation shields, thinking that he's listening to music. And I believe this shot of, um, yeah, him adjusting the controls on what he thinks is his record player is actually played backwards. It took me a long time to spot that, but you can always tell when a footage is, is being played backwards because the blinking is never right. But that's a nice, again, a nice discontinuity between what's actually going on and, and what Bartlett thinks is going on. 
The aliens know about the white noise. They must be concentrating all their power on Alan, Ehrlich, and Bartlett. You said they were starving. Where were they getting their strength? Well, every piece of electrical equipment on Alpha emits a minute amount of radiation. They must be getting it from that. I love the way Kenner keeps consulting Maya through the course of this, the rest of this story, saying, "Why? how are they getting their power? Oh, well, I know this. It, it happens like two or three more times uh, later on in the story. She always has an explanation, and he's always... He's always throwing questions at her. You've got to be down there somewhere. So there. Alan, this is Commander Koenig. Do you read me? Well, no, because Alan thinks he's off on a, a wonderful picnic holiday in the uh, the woods. And I believe that is actually Nick Tate and Drew Henley in the spacesuits, in the buggy. I was watching uh, Cosmic Princess recently and noticed that the shots of Helena and Carter chasing after the Maya monster, it's not actually Barbara Bain and Nick Tate in the costumes and, until you look at the extreme close-ups. Alan! But this seemed, yeah, this looks like the real actors. We'll use a harness. We'll drop me in front of them. Ah, oh, yes. We have a, a, a harness to lower people down on, which... Maya, prepare to depressurize. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen this used before. Which is surprising, because it actually makes a lot of sense. Complete. Away. I love the uh, the sound effects of this. Is it, is it a dune buggy? I'm not sure what it is. Um... It's a fairly speedy little roadster, but put over the, the shots of the, the regular Alpha moon buggy, which, needless to say, is not as fast. Anyway, Koenig has now been dropped right in front of Carter and, and Ehrlich's buggy, which is very slowly rocking its way towards him. But, of course, it's taken him too long to get out of the harness. Alan, stop! He said that without moving his lips. <laughs> yes, and Koenig... Is manifested in in their delusion. Oh, that was um, Koenig's helmet visor knocked open there. Just as a guy in black, black clothes, and with a strange black mask, trying to kill them in the woods. And yet the girls who are in the back of the car don't seem to mind. This is uh, all part of the fun for them. I notice one of the girls is getting far more screen time than the other one. To the extent I believe there were some publicity photos of her taken for this episode. Oh well, who cares? Because Koenig has been kicked out of the buggy. And they're coming back for more. And this is a very, a very well choreographed stunt. As they crash into the rocks and Koenig just about manages to leap over them in time. I do like, I really like um, seeing spacesuited alphans fight in this show. Which of course goes all the way back to the beginning of the series. So having got... Koenig on the ground. I guess that's Ehrlich is trying to kill him and Carter is trying to well, get the, the buggy back on the road. Koenig is still wearing his camera helmet from part one, which is a handy way for us to identify him from a distance, in case we didn't twig that he's the one lying on the floor <laughs> having the stuffing knocked out of him. Maybe this is why they don't use the harness that much. It uh, takes a very long time. Here's Maya. We're going to need her to uh, you know, bring this fight to a, a close in a, you know, fairly safe way, considering this is a fight on the lunar surface, and despite the fact that people's helmet visors keep flying open and uh, gloves look about ready to fall off, it's still very dangerous. At least that's what we're meant to believe. So, Maya is going to think about this, and then she's going to turn into a great big one-eyed monster with horns. Yes, needless to say, this is not going to end well for somebody. Somebody named Ehrlich. 
He's leaking air. I don't know why Maya goes goes in thinking that's the best way to resolve the fight. She could just turn into a big spider and spin a web or something, but... Ernick's losing air! His pants punctured! And I didn't do it. I don't know how it happened. Tony, Ehrlich's lost most of his air. We've got to get him back to Alpha fast. He needs to pressurize it. It's his only chance. Coming in now, John. Mm. Yeah, you can't imagine Alpha without Ehrlich. Well, you can, because this is basically the last we see of him. But unfortunately, Carter is still, uh, still up. Alan. Making a run for the buggy. As Maya deals with Ehrlich. Alan. Oh, Koenig just didn't quite make it. To be fair, he put up a really lame attempt at getting hold of that buggy. Alan. And he's just going to run after him on foot. As Tony moves the eagle in to pick up Ehrlich. And again, something I, I haven't touched upon with this uh, this two-parter yet, and I did mean to, to get to this, is because this is a two-parter and we have so much more money to throw at it, not only do we have the wonderful guest characters that we had in part one, but we also have, in, in part two, bigger, more expansive, and more expensive-looking sets. I really like the way they present the lunar surface in part two. It does feel much larger than, than it sometimes did in, particularly in series two. I remember Space Warp, they just have one fight around this very small bit of rock. Here it does feel like Carter has driven a long way and that fight took, took place in a really big, big area. When you're inside, you will seal the door. It also makes the, the lunar surface look more fun with with all the aliens on it even though i think we've only got like three alien costumes and the rest are cardboard cutouts which really you don't notice until uh, until the blu-rays and even then you're not really focusing on them as such again because they're meant to be immobile you don't you don't expect them to move so your eye just accepts the fact that these bits of cardboard are not moving and that they're real real alien creatures Carter and Bartlett now into the uh, this this looks like the front office of the nuclear radiation no not nuclear radiation nuclear waste dump area this nice little control room again it's a very big set before they get onto the even bigger set yeah oh, there's another connecting corridor to the the main one and to be honest I really think that because this two-parter looks more expensive than than the rest of the well a lot of the second series well they have no power to harm you either mentally or physically they need all of their energies to control alan and bartlett i really think the second series could have benefited from a few more two-parters this one looks and feels so much bigger and so much better than than a lot of the the series two fair so yeah a few more two-parters They've got the door sealed. With just as 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 good use of the uh, the larger budget that that would have have provided, I think the second series might have been a bit more fondly remembered if we'd had a, a few more more two parters, give it a bit of a glossier look. Anyway, Carter and Bartlett are now heading for the well, the uh, main reactory bit of this enormous nuclear waste disposal area set. Each one has a, a container of waste. 
Bartlett thinks it's his daughter, his five-year-old daughter, which is just so tragic. Oh no, Bartlett has the nuclear waste and Carter has a, a cutting beam. And speaking of um, off-screen character fates, you know, I, I mentioned Ben Vincent earlier. I do wonder how long Bartlett actually survived after this. Because you have to assume that... Oh, Koenig's trying to ram-raid the... Uh, the front door of the, the waste area. You would have to assume that a lot of people on Alpha would be barely holding on to their sanity at the thought of having lost all their loved ones back on Earth. And then some of them get to see them again in this episode, and then they get them taken away again. And I just feel that Bartlett probably suffered extensively when the moon left orbit, and now this would be enough to finish him off. But again, that's headcanon. It's, it, again, it's, I think it's good that I can come up with headcanon for very minor characters. Electron Lever. I think they've misspelled Electron there. Again, more more discontinuity as Bartlett's working the laser to get into the uh, the nuclear vault. He thinks he's he thinks he's doing his gardening. And that's it. Koenig is through the solder. Is he in? Yes, he's in. He's broken through. It doesn't matter. They will resist him. Aye, it doesn't matter. I'll go to the foot of our stairs and say it doesn't matter. I must say I really like that the aliens are northern. That's uh, that's just grand. Yeah, it's um. To be fair, it's it's it, they don't sound particularly northern, except in that one line. That one line read. I really like that they sound all gruff and uh, yeah, northern. Maya. Yes, Commander. Another question. This is still controlling Alan and Bartlett. Everything's closed down. Where are they getting their energy? The human brain generates electrical activity. There may be enough among the population of Alpha to keep them going at survival level. When people are unconscious, their brain activity is reduced, isn't it? Very greatly. Helen, I want everyone on the base knocked out, with the exception of yourself and the chief engineer. You mean unconscious? I mean unconscious. And who is the chief engineer this week? Well, yes, I can do it. I can use a contact gas. Last time I checked, Alpha's chief engineer was a uh, religious zealot who had visions. I'm not sure we need to keep him around. Yes, Patrick Osgood from uh, Catacombs of the Moon, I think, is the only person who was ever named as Alpha's chief engineer. Anyway, Helen is going to do that wonderful thing of knocking out everybody on the base. And I think we've covered this in, in New Captain Scarlet as well. Knock out everyone on the base, but don't tell them. Because... There's no no chance they could be doing anything potentially dangerous when you knock them out. You know, it's not like this is a base with all sorts of sciencey, nuclear-y type things that need to be kept an eye on. Just just knock everyone out. And of course, Helena having uh, unrestricted access to all areas of Alpha, she can just just do it. And now the unnamed extras are dropping like flies. But that's it for Bartlett and Carter. They are, well, they've got the big vault door open, which again, I, I would assume has got to be a reuse of the vault door from Force of Life, which we have seen previously in, I think, Beta Cloud. So we've got the door open. And now all we need to do is put the atomic fuel cylinder in, and we're going to have one big bang for the aliens. Wait there. I'm going to run about a mile down here to get you. Yeah, this set is enormous. It doesn't need to be, but it's great that it is, because it, it again, makes the episode look and feel suitably cinematic. Anyway, Koenig has got Bartlett, and... It's atomic fuel! Oh, 
Not my daughter. You're about to plug it into the core. Well, we'd have blown up the whole planet. That's right. W which planet? Oh. <laughs> you and I have been living in illusion, but you've broken the alien's control. Now help me. This—that's what you want when you think you've finally been reunited with your loved ones back on Earth. You're suddenly presented with hideous monsters. Let's return to normal. And Koenig screaming at you. Oh, Commander, with everyone else unconscious, they're running out of energy. With what little they've got left, they'll concentrate on Alan. Hmm. Well, thank goodness they haven't asked for Tony to be knocked out. His phenomenal brain power probably doesn't contribute much to the, the alien's control. Alan, listen to me. It's all right. It's all over. I like, I really like Nick Tate looking uh, utterly bewildered there, almost like a cornered animal. You learn quickly, John Koenig. That is hopeful. Hopeful? Hopeful for who? Yes, it's true, but you have been... Oh, and here comes the question. But haven't you been happy? Happier than you've ever been on Alpha before? Living your life reunited with your loved ones? Living, as it were, back on Earth? And I love the temptation here. I don't think I'd be strong enough to resist this. Dream! Isn't it better to live in a dream of happiness than to face a reality which you hate? Oh, yeah. I'd be under their spell too at that point. Yeah, he's basically out of it now. Robert, help me! Which is an interesting way of disposing of the character. Again, for the second series, you don't have to always end with a fist fight. This is fairly philosophical, particularly for series two. How long is a meaningless term? A pygmy's phrase. Time is relative. A butterfly lives a gloriously full life in a day. A single-celled organism in a microsecond. So long as one is fulfilled, time is irrelevant. Oh, they've got a wonderful turn of phrase on them, these aliens. They're wonderfully verbose. So as Carter is just about finished throttling Koenig into unconsciousness, Bartlett is paralysed. Again, this is a lot to heap on a guest character. But it works. It works because, again, we've got a two-parter to explore the character more. Use your laser! Start Alan! And Jeremy Young is, is a good actor who's really selling it. I really believe in the tragedy of this man, and it is, it is really a tragedy, as, uh, as it is for a lot of people living on Alpha. That's it, Koenig's out. Now put the trigger in the atomic core. Bartlett is just immobile, and Carter is... Uh, Well, I was about to say that he's going to do their work. We've got this odd shot back in uh, Command Center of everyone unconscious, except Helena. People have fallen unconscious while standing up. So they're just leaning against their consoles, a few of them. Stop him. Stop him, Bartlett. No, you get into a fight, Bartlett. I can't do it. He's immobilized. Oh, well, guess I'll have to do it. One last quick fight. Oh, or not. This Carter just jabbed him in the stomach. And it's it's very tense, actually, how close Carter gets to... Listen to me! It's Koenig! It's Koenig! ...getting the fuel cell into the hole. It's also a fun bit of the set to have a fight around this curved door, because it... Your, your footing isn't very secure. People do keep slipping and sliding. Carter's... Pulling on Koenig's leg, trying to get him to stop. Koenig's almost got it out. Punch, Carter. That's... yeah, Alan's out. And now, so is... The fuel rod. He's done it. 
Good old Koenig. Truly primitive organism commander. And another wonderfully philosophical bit of dialogue to end on. An instant of time. Now your life will be what the life of your species has always been. Cruel and futile. It's better to live as your own man than as a fool in someone else's dream. Ah. It's not, that's not quite as strong a line as I, th- I think it's often taken for, but that's it. The aliens, rather wonderfully, they just shrug and fade away, as if to say, oh well, we tried. Um, presumably they are dead. I don't know, one thing I really liked about Destination Moonbase Alpha is they put that shot of um, effects footage from Space Brain near the start of the film, as if to say that, you know, that's them in space. Also, speaking of destination, I think that's a far better point to end it than including this this tag scene at the end where the alien spaceship disappears. Well, I've been meaning to ask you something. What was that creature that you transformed into? Oh. Uh, we don't really need to have this conversation. I think it would have been a far stronger ending without this. Habitat was immune of psychom. Little goofy bit. Although it does lead to Maya making fun of Tony, which is always fun. Oxygen. Like a camel can store water. Ah. A reused idea from Space Warp again. Very strong. Maya, put me down. <laughs> Maya, listen, will you quit fooling around? Put me down. Game rather begs the question how strong Maya is in her natural form, if she can incorporate abilities from creatures that she's turned into without actually turning into them. Anyway. How am I supposed to run a base of sleeping beauties? It was your idea. That blonde, she might have been an illusion, but she was I wonderful. said it was your... Oh. Idea. Oh, Koenig's fallen asleep. And we we end the episode with a cheesy freeze frame that, uh, to be honest, doesn't quite really pay off the the larger dramatic themes of this episode. But that was part two of The Bringers of Wonder. Um, Not quite as as strong as part one, but still some really nice action stuff with this one. More focused on action than the character stuff here. And overall, yeah, as you've probably gathered throughout all of this, I'm a huge fan of The Bringers of Wonder, um, both in this form and Destination Moonbase Alpha, so I've thoroughly enjoyed catching up with it on the randomizer over the last two weeks. Hope you have too. Well, nice. Yes. There you go. No, yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to the return of the randomness, and uh, yeah, I, sure. I mean, I, I'm hoping he's going to take that enormous bit of headgear with him and the screen as well but uh, <laughs> you think so after what he's drawn on it Bring us, yes <clears throat> exactly it's, mm. uh, hopefully it's like an actual sketch and we can just uh, you know tip it and wipe <laughs> yes. it and it'll be gone uh, anyway that was Bring Us a Wonder Part 2 next week it won't be Bring Us a Wonder Part 3 because three. there never was one uh, are there any three-parters in the uh, any Jerry Ooh. Anderson series yeah I honestly don't know I don't believe so no 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 but it's, be stretching it a bit it's yeah. not common is it no, I think it'll be very, very unusual, unless you unless yeah. you count where they've sort of jammed three things together for the Super Space Theatre mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. That's not really yeah. a three-parter, is it? So anyway. No, true. Mm. Uh, anyway, now, thank you. Yes, uh, just a couple of uh, mentions over on our YouTube channel, where there's Ooh. all sorts of stuff posted every week, from the Fab Facts section on its own, right. to the whole of the podcast, and uh, I think there was some sort of technical thing that I mentioned next week, because we've had some uh, uh, interesting comments about that as well. Okay. Uh, but for now... Keith Gooch has commented beneath pod 195, uh, whose guest was Stuart uh, Woodhead. Uh, Keith says, another great episode of the Jerry Anderson podcast with all the usual cheeky banter between Richard and Jamie. For once, a fab fact that was interesting. For once. 
Yes, apparently it was about the 1967 comic Solo. Ah, yes, uh, of which I have a few in my collection and the off-screen origins of the Misterons. An interesting interview by Ben Page. Yeah, he's very good, isn't he? Uh, with Stuart Woodhead about the pioneer television puppeteer Joy Laurie. Having read Stuart's book, you can see how primitive television puppets and puppetry was until Jerry Anderson came along and advanced the art form tremendously. Yeah. And finally, Chris Dale's randomizer review was of the Space 1999 episode I don't know how many 1990, 1990s I put in there. Uh, the Bringers of Wonder Part <laughs> 1. Not one of the greatest stories in the canon, but keep up the good work, chaps. P.S. Uh, someone should remind Jamie that Brian Clemens wrote six episodes of The Protectors, not four. Oh, dear. And that's from Keith Gooch. Yes, I'm not, very, I'm not very good at that, am I? I mean, yeah. Like I said, turns out I actually know very little. Um Yes, <laughs> that's Jerry no Anderson. surprise to anybody. Yeah, uh, but my favourite uh, favourite comment beneath that particular pod was from uh, Mr. Anderson, would you believe, who simply posted, "I stood by, and there was action." Ah, nice. There you go. Nice. A happy yeah. customer, I hope. There we are. Uh, yeah, so you can comment there. Get our, you know, just send it in however you can. Email, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, I'll read it out. Simple as that. Sounds amazing. You should do that. Yeah, I should. Yeah. Good do that then uh all right <laughs> we look I'm forward to, to hearing from you via yeah. any of the multiple media uh via which you can contact us particularly podcast at jerryanderson.com i'd say yeah but, you yeah, know, yeah that's always the easiest isn't wherever it? you like we'd love yeah. to hear from you uh should we go away mm. i feel like we might be outstaying our welcome oh well, i've thought that for the last half hour to be honest i thought that for the last 195 episodes <laughs> uh anyway we'll be back next week with pod 197 as we rapidly approach our <gasps> 200th episode amazing uh, we'll be doing something for that. I don't know if it's special. I was going to say special, but I've redacted it at the last moment. Uh, and do make sure you go and book your ticket for the yes, live recording yes, of the yes. podcast, which will be at the Electric Birmingham, electricbirmingham.com. Uh, hopefully see you there and uh, then hopefully see you later in that day on the 16th of April for the concert. Yeah, great. Oh, dear, though. Until great. next week, let's say goodbye. Ta-ta. Farewell. Let's go. Spectrum is green. Yeah, you had to be difficult, didn't you? I said, let's say goodbye. And I said, ta-ta. ta-ta. Yeah. Oh, hang on. I what? Think, I think I've, I think I found it. Found what? I think I found my underground. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Don't I think prod it. Uh, no, I th- shall I tell you what? <laughs> I think I know where it is. If Jamie, take your hand. Yes. And put it on the back of your head. Yep. Okay. At the, at the top of your skull. And yep. just move your hand down. Yeah. Until you find there's a sort of a notch just above where the skull meets the neck. Yes. Is that it? I think that could be it, yes. I mean, I have to say, mine's quite pronounced. Yeah, uh, mine's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe that comes because I've actually worked with Jerry. Maybe that's what, you know, (laughs) maybe that's what gives it its extraordinary size. Yeah, that could be it. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, wow. Amazing. 
Congratulations. Thank you very much. Now we know yeah. where it is. We'll have yes. to do a diagram for, uh, for <laughs> listeners who are thinking, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> uh, which will probably be most of them. Anyway, yeah. uh, I feel like I should never say and a gland ever again. No, so. no, I think that was a one pod only experience, wasn't yeah. it? Never to yeah. be repeated. Okay, no. well, that's good right. to know. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, you go and massage yours and uh, I'm going to ignore mine. Right. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.